Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. What's up, what's up, what's up, what's up, y'all? This is Classified. This is Mocha Only. This is Sean Price. Yeah, Ghostface Killer. This is Quake Matthews. What's up, my brother Ali? Five Diggy Tribe Core Quest. Eloquent, man. What up, Styles Peter Ghost. This is Ab Soul. This is K.O. And you listening to The Come Up Show, where that feel-good music lives. This is the show that you come up on, yeah. This is the spot that you come up Welcome to The Come Up Show Podcast. This is your boy, Chetto, and I'd like to wish you a happy new year. Yo, it was only a year ago that we launched our podcast on iTunes and SoundCloud, and since then we've released interviews with Mac Miller, Rich Kid, Cardinal, Talib Kweli, Classified, G Easy, Vic Mensa, King Rain, Airplane Boys, Train Mission, and so much more. Over 40 podcasts that we uploaded last year, and we would like to thank you for the fans since day one, our day ones, for being there. And if you are a fan, please go to the Come Up Show on iTunes and uh, rate and review our podcast. This is really uh, important to our podcast in terms of uh, search visibility and rankings. So we get up there on the hip-hop podcast, and we appreciate you. And this is your first time listening to the Come Up Show podcast. Check out the catalog, the portfolio of all the artists that we interview. And if you like this interview, subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud, which works on all platforms. So on today's interview, we got the homie Taznata from Vernon, B.C. And uh, I caught up with him at a Junior T album release party at the Drake Hotel. Here's our first podcast of 2015. Enjoy. Yes, yes, yo. This is your boy Chetto, the Come Up Show. Sitting with me right now, he does his best to find a balance between the insightful and the nonchalant, the mainstream and underground, and he reps Vernon BC all day. His sophomore album is called Before Morning. It is out right now. And it features artists like Danny Brown. You might have heard of him. Sunreal, JD Era, so much more. Production from good friends like Rich Kid, Pops. Uh, and his goal is to make this sophomore album the most commercially successful work to date and to show that he has found his sound as an MC. Please introduce yourself. Yo, yo, Chetto. It's uh, Taz Nada, man. It's out here in Toronto. I'm about to do this show and happy to be here, you know? Yeah, man. Uh, we're here, but by the way, to the to people out there at the Drake Hotel. You might be hearing the music a little bit in the background. Paint the scenario for you. Uh, here for the Junior T. Uh, Tazanana is all the way here from BC from uh, the Junior T uh, album release uh, party. I see you. And yo, so you, you come down here often to, to, to the T dot. Uh, tell me, uh, compare. Uh, how Vernon, B.C. is comp- compared to Toronto. I saw your Instagrams. You, had, like, you got, like, deers going through your suburbs, neighborhoods. You're, like, driving by them. You're seeing the mountains and whatever. How does that compare to, you know, how does that affect you while you're back when you see that the scenery is all around you compared to a concrete jungle like Toronto? Yeah, yo, you said it, man. It's, it's, really, it's really peaceful, man. Like, you go home, it's mountains, and it's the most serene setting ever man it's so funny when when friends from toronto come out there it's like yo the the drive is like so long say we're going from calgary it's a six hour drive or whatever but it'll take like 12 hours sometimes the guys from toronto because these guys got to pull over every two seconds take photos of the rockies you know and where i'm from too it's all lakes and beaches and and skiing and and and, you know outdoor stuff um as far as music goes man it's it's weird vernon and Kelowna are 40 minutes apart from each other but for some reason, Vernon growing up was such a pocket for hip-hop. Like, obviously, like, Sunreal and um, my homie Tor back in the day, he did an album with, like, Shabazz, like, way back, too. And um, uh, there's just always rappers in town, always. And, and, and like, we were always on, Vernon was always on some, like, East Coast stuff. Like, 
Cormega was huge in Vernal, like Mob Deep and like stuff like that. For whatever reason, it was it was huge. So I mean, there's not other than that, like being a lot of fans of hip hop and stuff. There wasn't much of a music scene. There's no studios really that we ever went to. So like, I grew up in, and would just record at home all the time, and I never really had my first studio experience till like four years ago. So and I, I've been making music for almost ten years now. So are you currently in Vernon? Uh, where are you resided? I'm, I'm everywhere, man. I'm a gypsy. It's I hate that question. It's so hard to answer because I have a storage unit in Edmonton. I've got storage in Vernon. Um, and, uh, you know, I've got stuff out here. Like, uh, I'm just everywhere right now. But, but home base definitely is Vernon. I don't get there as much as I wish I could. That's where my kids live, obviously. And, and um, so I, I try to make it there as often as possible. But uh, with, with work and, and music stuff, man, I'm, I'm on the road quite a bit. So you were at the Raptors game last night. It was Drake night. What was the energy like uh, being in the ACC and seeing how well the Raptors are doing, you know, all the way from the West Coast here in Toronto? And uh, what, what, was, what did it feel like yesterday? Oh, it felt like we should still have the Vancouver Grizzlies in BC, man. Like, seeing that energy now and, like, the Raptors made it over that, that hump of being a new team. You know, so it's wicked to see that. Now, now it's like you genuinely feel that the players want to be here, where before it felt like, you know, the, the B team before you made it to a team in the States where guys wanted to get out of Canada. But now it's like this is the place to be right now. So it's really exciting, man. I think the fans pick up on that. And, like, yeah, the energy is incredible, dude, obviously, for sure. That's awesome. Uh, so one of the people you always check when you're when you touch down in Toronto is your homie JD Era. Uh, what uh, uh, valuable jewels has he shared with you about the game, about this hip Canadian hip hop scene since he's been doing it for what at least a decade now? What 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 are the gems that he shared with you uh, that you've taken in? Yeah, I mean, wow, he's he's just super insightful guy, man. He's just you know it's humbling he's a very nice guy and we get along well you know we got a similar sense of humor and whatnot so it's really easy going to to ask him questions that like if i was trying to i don't know not say be cool around somebody but you know i can be really loose with him and ask him some geeky questions that I, you know some guys might be like yo really you don't know that but there's some stuff that i don't know still and so he's a great guy you know who's who's really helped me and and, and give me a lot of advice and i mean i think a lot of it is just being patient and um you know, choosing your steps really wisely and plotting, you know, like making, you know, don't just fly into it. I used to make music. I'd record a song that day and put it on the Internet that day on like MySpace or whatever, you know, and just I never had a plan. And so talking to him and stuff, it's, it's really nice to see him sharing that. Yeah, strategy is very important. You got to have all these stepping stones in place before you can actually release something and, and the follow up with it and just just plotting and moving, you know. Definitely. Um, so I, I want to take it back definitely want to go to your influences uh, uh let's start with your father he was an avid music collector audio engineer uh tell me what was like being raised uh by him in that household take me to the living room give me that theater of the mind give me the picture of you are you in your pajamas and your socks and that vinyl records right there what, what would your dad be playing what would he be putting you on yeah yeah i would have been wearing some ninja turtles clothing for sure probably my ninja turtles pajamas i think they had neon sleeves um probably playing with a pizza van while he spun records man like um yeah he he was like uh, a single father so it was wicked that like and he was so young too he was probably like he was 21 when i was born so when i was like four right he'd be 25 and and um for me to grow up now and realize how young 25 really is it's like wow okay so this guy was like we'd hang out in the living room and eat itchy band for lunch like just bachelors to the max you know what i mean and, and he played records and he played stuff from like thin lizzy like rock music and like all the way to like bb king and, and etta james a lot of blues stuff man like tons of blues he loved the blues um soul music man like delphonics and stuff but 
uh, Bob Marley, Jim Morrison. And what he would do is uh, he would uh, play a record, but he would pause it like every six seconds, I swear to God, like every bar, and be like, do you know what he's saying there? Do you know what he said there? And, and what he's meaning by that, that's a metaphor. And what a metaphor is, and he'd go off on these tangents for so long. I'm like, okay, bro, just play the song, right? And he used to hate it when I was a kid. He's like, he's like Justin, come downstairs. I got to show you a record, right? I'm like, ah, oh, you know? But now growing up, and I'm like, wow, that was like the most impactful thing that ever happened in my life. Because I, I catch myself now doing it with my kids. I was showing my daughter a Lauren Hill song the other day. I was like, do you hear what she's saying? She's empowering women and, you know, this and that. And, and she's doing the same thing to me, and I'm seeing it now from the other perspective. I'm like, okay. It's really crazy, man, and, and uh, yeah, without him, I, I wouldn't have the love for music, and the type of music, too, and how he was so open to everything in every genre, where, like, there were genres, obviously, he didn't, he didn't rock with, like, country and stuff like that, but, I mean, he was always, for countries, like, yo, if, it, if it's a good song, it's well-crafted, like, Waylon Jennings and stuff, he liked him, and, and uh, if the band is proper and everybody's really, it's a passion, then, it, then you can respect it for what it is. You know, so he never turned me off of anything saying, like, put me in a pocket where, like, oh, I hate everything but rock and roll. So for me, that was really nice because what it ended up doing is when I grew up, hip hop was the thing in my, my era. Right. So at school, everybody was on hip hop. But I was so open to everything that I was able to take influence from all those kind of records. And, and that's kind of fully shaped me, man. That's awesome. And uh, you talked about, you know, now you're putting your daughters on. So t- tell me what kind of music are you playing f- for them? What are you putting them on? I play a wide variety of stuff for them, man. They like. They like everything too. They're easy going. They love to sing. Um, I already knows how to record on my laptop, which is crazy. She's five. Um, but like, I play, yeah, a lot of old blues stuff. I, although they, they don't take to it, like I wish they would right away, you know. But they, they catch on to it. Um, I play this UK singer right now. They love this 18 year old girl named uh, named Izzy Bazoo, and she's amazing. But she's kind of like a folk singer. Beautiful voice, but her lyrics are, are meaningful. You know what I mean? Uh, Erica Badu, Lauren Hill. Just like some strong woman stuff, you know what I mean? Like in the day, like where Nicki Minaj and stuff, they, they hear enough of that. They're going to hear it as much as we try to turn it off. It's, it's everywhere, bro. We'll be in a store and, and Nicki's on. They already know the words after one listen, you know what I mean? So when I have them, I try to make sure that it's something meaningful, but still fun for them to listen to. Like when we sing along, they like MIA. We listen to a lot of MIA because she's got some like turn up beats and they just go wild in the car and, and Outcast. They like Outcast a lot, the Spotty O song and like. Yeah, man, they listen to a wide range, but but try to keep it like PG. They don't listen to my music really at all. There's there's like I think the song with Andrina on this album, that's the one they can listen to and they love it. But yeah, isn't it funny how fast kids like catch on to pop music? Even like you know what I mean? It's 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 almost universal. Like it can catch on to everyone. Like yeah. when they're hearing the, the Iggy Azaleas on the radio or. Uh, Nicki Minaj and grocery stores and all that type of stuff. Isn't that funny? Like, sometimes you're like, oh, I don't want them to listen to this, but you can't help it. Oh, yeah, it's absolutely incredible, man. Every, like, you play a song for them one time and they know the words to it. It's it's incredible. Like, that's not even exaggerating. They they know the hook. Like, by the second time the hook comes on, the first time they've ever heard a song, they know the hook already. And it's just like they, you see what kind of like sponges they are, you know what I mean? So they're so vulnerable to what they take in. So you got to be really careful, man. So take me to the memory when you first ever heard rap music. What, where were you? What were you doing? Who introduced you to it? What song did you first hear? And ha- t- taking me to that memory. Yeah, yo, that's a great story, man. Um, I was in grade, I was in grade four, grade four or five. I went to Mission Hill Elementary in Vernon, and uh, I had a friend, and his older brother would pick us up from school. He was in high school at the time, and he would pick us up from elementary, and we'd go hang out with him and drive around and do errands and stuff. And he would listen to rap all the time. 
And I kind of like tuned it out, never really cared what he listened to at the time. And then there was one day, I think he put on Ebonics by Big L. I think it was either Big L or, uh, or a Biggie verse. And I was like, it just like really hit me because I don't, I don't know what it was, but whatever he was saying was like, yo, this is going on in like another city with a young, like our city's nothing like this. All this stuff is so new to me. And so it was like, I just had this moment where I'm like, yo, I, I, like, I got to have this shit. And uh, what happened was we went to a Canadian tire and he had to run in and it was like just down the road from the daycare that I went to. And uh, I said I'd wait in the car. So he went in and I popped his tape out of the deck and stole it, man. And and I would get beat up by him every time I seen him. I'm like, I don't know what happened to him. He's like, what do you mean you don't know what happened to a guy? He's like, it was you were in the car and the tape was in the car. I came back and the tape was not in the car and you were not in the car. So I took it. And then uh, I remember playing it at home. I had a tape player in my bedroom. I listen to music every night before I go to bed. But I usually listen to like Nirvana and like stuff that my dad was cool with. And then that tape, he took it away at first because like, Bomb First was on there by Machiavelli and stuff, and I was, like, singing the lyrics, you know, and, like, picture, like, a nine-year-old, eight-year-old kid singing Machiavelli Bomb First, right? It's hilarious, but... So he took it away, but then I got it back, and I would hide it under my pillow, man, and I'd, I'd play Nirvana for, like, an hour till I could hear my dad go to bed, and I'd pop in the rap tape, and, and that was it, man. Really, I just, like, just fell in love with it there. So your, your dad, being an avid music collector, giving you, putting on to blues and all the classics, what was his, what was his reaction when his nine, ten-year-old son is coming home and blasting this you know vulgar rap music yeah no i mean i think i like he now he like he totally respects rap he, he he's you know he's not a huge fan he doesn't go out and buy records but like he likes my music he takes in a lot of my friends um yeah he likes the music for what it is he knows a good song from a bad song no matter what um but back then i think it was more just protecting me from the words that this guy is saying you know what i mean like the content was pretty vulgar like you said and and uh, I think he was just trying to protect me from that. So it was, uh, it was definitely like the harshest entry in a rap I could have had. Yeah, that's funny. So uh, the EP Before Morning is out right now. And uh, if I were just to look at that name, Before Morning, um, you know, morning is the definition of people, um, you know, uh, suffering the loss of someone. Before morning is alive, you know, before you're dead. Uh, so your talk is it what life and death? that you have in that name uh, can you break it down what before morning is why you chose it yeah so basically it was a long time kind of at first it was kind of like talking about life like it's a party and all the things we do before morning before the sun comes up you know and then, and then after a party i don't know how many times like i've been up the sun's up the party's over and we're sitting outside like on a park bench smoking a joint with the last three guys that are still awake from the night right and, and we're talking like yo remember this happened yo that was so crazy when so-and-so did this and it's like we're mourning something that's dead now, you know? And it's like, it's just like always, it's like it happened years ago. But you could be doing the same thing that night again. You'd be doing two parties in a weekend, but it's just like you sat there and reflected on something that just happened as if it was something that was so great and it, and it died, right? But in a grand scheme, if you look at life like, like it's that same house party, it's like the same emotions go into it, you know? But on a more spanned out scale, it's like, you know the the climax and like picking up girls and and like just the the events the drama and everything you know like and then sorting it out kind of and then you you get your night back on track and then it's over you know what i mean so it's like really that pursuit of a perfect night or, or a life like trying to trying to get it proper before morning you want to have it proper before something is gone and, and you lose it and and like they say like you don't know what you got till it's gone right so it's trying to trying to realize that in every step i take is it i'm gonna die one day and that's a realization it's like yo i don't have much time and and it's just like, I don't know, since I had kids, it really hit me that I'm going to die, you know? And, and I, I started worrying about it now because for them, their sake, I don't want that to happen. So, I mean, uh, 
yeah, I guess it's it's just making sure you're you're utilizing your time the best you can before morning. And you said that you have a habit, whether it might be good or bad, that you always remind yourself that you're gonna die. And I just want to know how how, do, how does that how do you do that? How do you keep reminding yourself? Because if people kept thinking I'm going to die, <laughs> you're definitely going to make the most of your day, your time. Probably not procrastinate as much or be lazy. You're gonna try to you know you know soak as much uh, as much as you can out of every day. So for the people who are procrastinate and who waste their time, uh, maybe you can teach them the skill of how you worry about you're gonna die. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> no, it sounds so grim. It sounds so grim, man. But it's like it's not grim. Like say I'm making like a crazy decision. You know what I mean? Like I don't have a lot of money. Do I want to spend the last bit of money I have to go to Toronto and do a show? Do I want to? I don't have much money. Do I want to take my kids to Disneyland? You know, like break the bank to go do stuff or like any any major life decision I have. I sit down and think, okay, like what are you gonna? You know, am I gonna regret going or am I gonna regret not going? And it's usually not going. You know what I mean? It's like. If I and then I usually think like exactly these words will be like okay if I die tomorrow, right then then these kids never got to go to Disneyland, you know if I if I die tomorrow I never did this I'm gonna it sucks, I mean there's all this stuff so it it makes me more of a yes man like where I wanna I'll say yes to way more stuff when I think about it like that and put it in perspective I'm like yo what's stopping me from going, and and doing something crazy you know what I mean like I'm like everybody is so worried about a lot of petty bullshit all the time. It's like, yo, like this next man is fighting because he's checking out his girlfriend. You know, it's like, yo, in the end, guess what? Spoiler alert: everybody dies, bro. You're gonna fucking die. You're gonna die, and it's like, it sounds, it sounds terrible, but that's the truth. It makes everything seem so petty. You know what I mean? And you really start focusing on the grand scheme of life. It's like, what is your key to happiness that you're looking for? It's not going to the bar and getting drunk, or if it is, and it's, you know, whatever, whatever makes you happy. And um, someone, cra- someone showed me this thing that like blew my mind. And uh, you take a, a measuring tape, and he goes, okay, pull it out to 80, which is like the average life expectancy, right? Pull it out to 80, and, now, and lay down the table. Now put your finger on 80, and then your next finger on the age that you are right now. And so say you put it on 25. So you see your fingers right there. That's the span of your life. And every 10 years, you move it closer and closer, and you like see like in front of you, that's how much that's how short it is yo 80 years is nothing it's so minuscule on the grand scheme like and so it's just like you gotta stay stay awake to that shit like um yeah man i just try to remind myself all the time in a positive light though i don't try to be like oh what a it's raining out i'm gonna die <laughs> like it's it's happy you know like I, I gotta stay reminded that there's a like, way bigger things to worry about than than petty stuff that can sidetrack a lot of people who are trying to do great things Definitely, and I, I don't think it's grim, and I'm, I'm glad you said it's positive because, man, people take are in petty stuff. They take things personally. It does not matter in the grand scheme of things, and that's how you should be applying your life. That's that's my principle, man. I, my, I, I definitely uh, appreciate that, and to the people out there, I hope you can uh, you know apply that to your life as well. So let's let's uh, get on to the album, man. One of the songs on the bench. Uh, it's called The Bench. Uh, you talk about watching a game and how you feel like you're on the sidelines when you should be playing on a stage. Can you expand on that? Like, what made you feel that way? What is that, what is that talking about? Are you, are you seeing your peers and maybe they're doing their thing and like, damn, that should be me type of thing? Yeah, yeah. It's going to every show. Like, especially since I started doing music, I used to play hockey and everything too. And, and I, would, I would hate being injured because you, you, you got to go support the team at the game. And you want to play so bad, and it's just like torture. You're sitting there watching, like, yeah, go. But you're like, really? It's like, man, I should be out there right now. And it's the same thing as music now. It's like, 
there's certain artists I'll go to and I just fan out and I don't think about that stuff. But really now that I make music, I'm analytical of what they're doing on stage. Like, what can I learn from this? And it, it's almost too much sometimes. But I'll see guys like, um, I wrote that track. I was at Danny Brown's show, actually. I was watching his set and uh, I'm like, man, I was like, I, like, this should be, the crowd is just going crazy and it's so great, you know, to take in the energy is like just the, the happiest feeling ever. When I'm on stage, I love it. And so it's sometimes when you're watching a show, you're like, yo, I want to be up there so bad and I want these people to be jumping for me and, and doing this, you know? So it's like, yeah, it's like you're injured, but you want to play the game. So, I mean, yeah, you see these guys doing it. And, and although you support them, it could be your best friend ever. It's like, yo, just, yo, just give me one mic and, and like a, tr a track, one track, you know? And like, it happens all the time you see it at shows. Guys aren't even on the bill, but they'll be at the show and they'll see guys performing and the crowd giving love and they're like, okay, yeah, I'll come up for a verse, you know? So like, yeah, it's that for sure, man. Definitely. When you when you're involved in the same kind of professional, or you, you do the same thing, you, you know, it's a natural thing to be to be a part of it, right? Like if you're, you said, you're hockey and basketball player, no matter what, you always want to be on stage because it's just what makes you happy, right? Like this is what you love to do, and you also want a shot, you want a chance, and you want to show people how ill that you are as well, too. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly, man. It's like being a little kid and everybody's playing hide and go seek. You got two broken legs. It's like yeah, it's the worst, you know. You just want to go play. Uh, you spoke about D Danny Brown, and uh, you do have a song on the album called uh, "Say Goodbye" with Danny Brown and uh, Rich Kid. Tell me about how the Danny Brown collaboration came about. Um, yeah, man, way back when I did, uh, I did a track on my last album with Black Milk and one with Elzai, and um, from that we just became friends on like Facebook, and then talked about that. And he was actually supposed to be on that album too. I don't know if I sent him on the songs or the single had come out. And he hollered at me or I hollered at him. Uh, but, like, nobody knew him back then. And it was only a few years ago. But, like, I wanted to have him on Between Planets. And, and I just didn't have a proper beat for him. And, like, I'm not going to go out of my way. And also, too, um, I was like, nobody even knows this guy. Right? So I'm not, like, I don't know. It might be rude. I was a huge fan. Like, I had two friends probably that were also huge fans of Danny Brown. But he was such on a minor scale, even compared to, like, Black Milk. Like, everybody knew Black Milk back then. And, and, and Danny Brown was relatively unknown. And, uh, and yeah, he was going to charge me, like, 100 bucks to, to do the verse, go in the studio and whatever. And, and I was like, nah, you know. And, like, and then he ended up getting really big, man. And we kept in touch over Facebook and, and always talked, man. He's a really nice guy and, um, and just kept in touch. And finally, when I had a beat, um, I wrote to it right away. And I was just like, yo, this is, like, a Danny Brown beat right away. It's got to be Danny. And so I, I was like, yo, what do you think about this? I sent it to him over Facebook. He listened to it. And uh, he's like, put me up in the studio, like paid studio time, and, and I got you. So uh, he went and recorded the next day in Detroit and, and sent me the verse back. And that was like a year ago, man, that we've had that verse forever and, and just wanted to make sure it was perfect. And, and uh, yeah, man. And then Rich Kid came through with the verse, too, and he, he absolutely killed it, too. So I think he's a, Rich is a perfect fit for the track, too. And uh, for the people who haven't listened to the album yet, uh, you know, tell us a little bit about uh, who you have on this album in terms of the... Let's start with the production because that's where, you know, if you don't have a beat, then you, you don't got the music. So uh, tell me uh, about the production and why you reached out to people like Rich Kid and Pops and uh, Superville. Yeah, I mean, Pops, number one, was the guy who, who supported me. And, and uh, we've been kind of working together since, uh, I want to say, like, 2006, man. Like, like, some of my first, like, real beats that weren't dubs came from Pops. Pops and Arthur MacArthur. I didn't get nothing done with Arthur on this project, but... Uh, hopefully on the next one um, you know so Pops has always been a friend Rich Kid same thing I think I've known him since 2007 on some MSN stuff like like he used to send beats and, and whatnot and um, and then Superville just uh, met him through Junior T 
Um, and then Kemi, same thing, met him through Junes. We linked at the studio, and, and he was playing some beats. Me, him, and Pops were just chilling and, and heard that bench beat. Um, yeah, who else? Um, obviously, Junior T. Yeah, Junior T's got, like, two beats on there. Uh, Junes is just my best friend in Toronto and, and one of my best friends, really, in life. Um, so, yeah, we, we make music naturally all the time. We're always in the studio together when I'm out here. We went to L.A. together, obviously, and... And smashed out some tunes. And then uh, my homie Snaz. Snaz is another. Everybody that's worked on my album, I've known for a long time. And I really have supported uh, through the whole time. Like, with their music, they've supported me back. And it's just been a mutual connection. I never really, there's not one person I just, like, cold, like, yo, I want one of your beats because you make good beats and, and bought one off them. Like, it was all a mutual thing. Because when I make songs, I want to make sure the person on the other end and everyone involved is, like, mutually invested in it. Where, where they honestly like mess with the song themselves and and they're going to promote it and they're going to want to be a part of it so i hate i hate just hiring somebody to do something because i've seen enough guys do that and the guy's like yeah you paid me 500 dollars, but i don't mess with that guy you know i just make making a paycheck right so um these guys are all people i mess with and, and really support definitely you don't want it to be a business transaction you want it to be organic right and 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 do you, do you feel like that comes across in the music when you know maybe a track is a pure business transaction where or it might be an organic relationship like that you build. Does you think fans can tell a difference or no? Um, I think they can. Yeah, I think there's definitely a lot of times that they will never tell. Um, but yeah, I think so. Like it's it's when you hear guys with a similar sound. You know, they always got the same sound going all the way through. That's that's organic, and and it usually stands out when a guy is, uh, you know, if he's recording on something that's just like, oh, I've never heard him on a beat like that, right? So I remember looking into stuff like that. Like you would hear comment on like some random beat when you're used to hearing them some soulful stuff you're like oh what's that about right and you maybe look it up and and find out what the deal was you know what i mean so those kind of tracks i think there is certain standouts but i think depending on the rapper and his skill level it, you can do anything really uh so sunreal is one of your good friends and talking about relationships sunreal is one of your good friends T tell me when the first time you met him uh the first memory that you have of sunreal oh man skate at the skate park probably drinking 40s or something or like drinking alcohol to mom's like out of like a water bottle yeah what year is this oh man uh before high school uh yeah maybe like 98 98 yeah we used to skateboard um and i was really good friends with uh his best friend uh d-man which is dustin peter he's a dj now but they used to have a group called burnt roots and uh they both rapped and, and i homie true was their dj and um, yeah, man, we all kind of hanging out. We all went to different schools, but we were all kind of in the same circle. And I wasn't even, like a huge skater like these guys. I would hang out a bit, but like never really became good friends with Aaron till Sunreal till um, man, probably like 2002. We started rolling around at parties together and stuff like that, and hanging out and, and whatever, man. We used to roll around in uh, in his mom's Jetta. And I remember it was so funny, man, because I was talking earlier about how we used to listen to Cormega and like Mob Deep. It's such an East Coast thing out in Vernon. And he had this Jetta, and the CD player was broken. So we had Cormac Illegal Hustle stuck in the deck for like a year straight. And so like we could, I could probably still rap every song backwards on that that album because it's like, and it's better than nothing, right? So we listened to the whole thing every single day when we we're hanging out. And it, was, it was jokes, but um, yeah, man, those are some of the earliest memories for sure. Just going to parties and, and cruising, man. That's awesome. Uh, you talked you talked about Mob Deep, man. You opened up for them uh, not too long ago. Tell me about that that, that experience and opening up for Mob Deep and like meeting Prodigy yeah no that was wicked man um, actually yeah they came into the show in Vernon when we were in uh, when I just graduated in like 2004 
Uh, they came and did a show, and Sunreal opened for them then. And so we met them that night, but it was like sold-out show. Like, and Vernon's got 50,000 people, and it, it was like so random for them to like be doing Vancouver, Toronto, Calgary, Edmonton, and then Vernon. You know, it's like so... We were so stoked when they came in. I remember we drank 40s before that show and walked down to the show. We mobbed deep to the show, you know. We thought we were so cool, man. And then, uh, so meeting them again was really cool, man. And, and this time, being more established, obviously. And and I uh, got to sit down with, with Havoc and P and, and just, I don't know, I fanned out a bit, man. I was just like, yo, you, you guys were like the shit for me when I was growing up. So it's really cool just to be here with you. And they're really humble guys, man. It's cool to see guys that are that deep into the game and that large of a veteran that they're still out there doing it, you know? And, like, my friend is like, Havoc, do you ever get nervous before you do a show? He's like, and he's, still, and he's like, yeah, I get a little bit, you know, I, you get the butterflies, you get the jitters, you want to make sure it goes right and proper. And it, and it was cool, man, to think, like, yo, this guy's been doing shows for 20-some years, and he's the guy still gets jitters a little bit before shows. It's really cool to hear that, so. Speaking about live performances, uh, you know, it's the bread and butter for established artists nowadays. is really important. And I, and I think, honestly, man, it's the way that people can organically discover someone, right? There's only so much tweets and Facebook, you know, posts that you could do. But, you know, when we can all remember as fans when we discover someone for the first time at a live show, whether it be an open artist or our favorite artist. So tell me how you approach performing. How I approach it? Yeah, how you approach it. Like, what is uh, Taznata show like? And 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 what what is what would it be like to see you live on stage? I know I'm going to see you live in like 10, 20 minutes but you know how seriously that you treat it how do you do you rehearse T- tell me all about that yeah man basically like say we book a show and it's uh opening for mob deep obviously i want to play to the crowd so I, I make sure the set's proper like it's fitting you know i'm not gonna do some love songs or something like that um yeah basically i make my set list right away i make my live joints and i usually make a playlist on my phone and I'll just drive around my playlist on and, and just wrap it as I'm driving and stuff like that. Or if I'm at the gym, I'll be on the treadmill listening to that playlist. And, and once I got it good, I'm good. I usually, my theory is, can, am, can I do it if I'm blackout drunk? You know, I used to get really drunk when I performed, and I loved it, but I found that now I stay more sober and I'll drink after. Because I will get sloppy. You don't realize at the time because you get ignorant because you're just so wavy or whatever. But um, I have a couple of drinks before the show now, man. And, but I make sure that, like, worst case scenario, I can do this verse on any single beat. If my beats mess up, I'm good. Like, I've had enough run-ins with, with uh, shows where my beats didn't work, and we had to flip to, like, a Nas dub or something like that. You know what I mean? So, um, yeah, man. And then, and then as far as my live show goes, I like, to, I like to have a ton of energy. I mean, everybody does. But I like, to, I like to make sure the crowd feels like they're partying with me, and I'm not, like, some dude to be looked at on a stage. Like, you know, it's, we're here for everyone's here to party. I'm hosting it. I'm rapping. And let's just have a good time kind of. So, so I think everybody gets that, man. And... And I know a lot of people, like, I'll be chilling with people when I'm not drinking or nothing, and I'm a quiet guy, I keep to myself. I was an only child growing up, so I'm always kind of quiet and taking in everything, and I'm, I think before I speak, kind of. And so when people see me on stage, I know I've had the compliment enough times where, where they say, man, that's so, like, I can't believe you have that much energy, blah, blah, like, you're jumping around and you're yelling and, and this and that. It's like we didn't know that was in you. It's like a different person. And I think that's how an artist should be. You should always be a different person on stage. Be yourself, but I mean, like, that's that's your pure, pure happiness thing that you've put so much passion into. You know, make sure people feel that. 2014 is wrapped up. It's in the bag. What did uh, this What did this past year teach you, man? Oh, wow. Um, just to value moments. I didn't get to see my kids a lot this year, and they're, they're like, my absolute life, like... 
they're they're my the reason I breathe, man. Everything, and so I mean, like cherishing the little moments I get to spend with them and and other people too, man. Um, like we were saying, the before morning concept that was really all just a, a title for what I went through this year with with just life in general and growing and maturing. Is that everything is gonna end one day? So you really just I want to cherish everything and yeah, 2014 was just all about being in the moment, man, and turning your phone off and and. Uh, just being who you're with, you know, and, and really just enjoying everything, man. The tiniest little things. Like, I mean, we got soundcheck downstairs and watching the band warm up and, like, Phoenix was singing and, like, I was just standing there with a smile on my face. I couldn't even move. I was just, like, in heaven. Like, I, I love this stuff. And, and it's just taking that kind of thing in, man, because you don't get to do that all the time. So it's, it's, it's taking your time and just enjoying. Definitely. And something that we definitely need to do nowadays man we're, we're living in the age of distraction man with cell phones and notifications and all that stuff so i hope y'all out there just you know taking the moment because it's all you have right um what is uh wrapping up the, our interview Taznada? what is what does music mean to you man what does music mean to me yes it means uh man wow music is is everything bro like um you don't have a moment without music, I feel like, you know? Every crazy moment I've had in my life, there's been music playing, if you think about it. Or like when someone listens to a song, it, it puts you in a mood instantly. It's like, it's air, man. Like, not to sound corny or nothing, but really like, your music is, the, the music that's playing in your area is just has as much effect on you as the weather does. If there's a gray sky, you're gonna have this certain cozy feeling or like, you know, you might be bummed out or get the winter blues or whatever. It's the same thing with a song. A sad song comes on. You're going to get that emotion. You're going to feel that. And it's real emotion that you feel when you listen to that stuff. It triggers that. So when you hear a happy song, it's the same thing. There's sun shining. You know, it, it puts you in an instant mood. So I think, like, yeah, music is, is just key for everything, man. Uh, anything else that you wanted to say to the people out there who are listening to this interview and this podcast, man? Oh, man, I hope everybody gets the tape, and I hope everybody likes it. And, um, yeah, I mean, from here... It's only going up. It's a cliche, but, you know, I'm not going to be the guy that says 2015 is mine or nothing, but I'm going to be working harder than I've ever worked, and, and I just want to make sure everybody knows that the last record I put out was I put it out and chilled for so long, you know, and that's where I dropped the ball. Um, I didn't have a strategy. I just thought it was as simple as putting a CD out. So this year I got a strategy, and, and it's all about I just want to put out proper content and be consistent and, and make sure people are getting stuff all the time so I don't have to start from square one again, you know what I mean? 2015 is mine. I'm taking over. <laughs> That's it's gonna start soon, dude. The Facebook statuses are already coming, bro. The tweets are coming. Oh, I know. It's terrible. Uh, thank you very much, Taznada. That's the homie Taznada. Before morning is the EP or album, actually. Uh, EP. EP. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the EP. Man, things are so confused nowadays. EP album. Mixtape, street album. Yeah, yeah. A lot of people do mixtapes now with their own original beats, which is really an album. But I don't know, man. With the internet, I think the whole concept of having a project went out the window. Everything is content, you know. So it's a, it's music. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the podcast, y'all. I hope you enjoyed that story with Taz Nada. Shout outs to him for giving us the time. And I'd like to know your thoughts about this interview, especially in the areas of Taz Nada's perspective on how he lives his life. That's that I found that really exciting. Uh, and I definitely connected with that as well, too. And I want to know, what was your first hip-hop memory? Do you know what the first hip-hop song was? Where was it? That story that Tazadada told was hilarious. Uh, to, to share my personal story, uh, mine was when I uh, moved from Saudi Arabia 
to London, Ontario in 1996. And I remember uh, visiting my cousin. Uh, we I was staying at my cousin's house, and uh, I remember watching the video for LL Cool J's doing it. And I was singing it, doing it, doing it at the age of 10 and not knowing what that meant. And that was the, one of the first hip-hop songs that I heard uh, when I came to Canada at the age of 10 in 1996. I'd love to hear your story. Comment on our SoundCloud Subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher Radio. Type in the Come Up Show, and uh, we'll see y'all next time. Peace, love, respect. (laughs) 